Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to True Romance. This is Carolina Barlow. This is Devin Leary. We have a very exciting episode for you today. It's one of my favorites uh, with a very personal guest. But first, some headlines. Um, In the political world, a lot's going on, aka the Biden's granddaughter, Naomi Biden, is engaged. I'm kind of obsessed with her Instagram account, mainly because she is engaged to someone I have deemed in my own uh, mind where I make up stories about people. Uh, kind of um, like partier. Like, I think she found a version of her dad, Hunter Biden, in some guy. That would make sense. Nevertheless, I wish them the best. I hope Major, the dog that bites everyone, is their ring bearer. And I'm very uh, curious to see if they have a wedding at the White House. As you know, I love wedding culture. And um, for aesthetics, I would like to see what that looks like. What style gown do you picture for her? I think the princess gown days are dwindling. But I say that in Los Angeles, I think in, you know, the middle of the country, uh, people still love a good Cinderella look. That's true. Sometimes a Cinderella works, sometimes it doesn't. This is true. I do think Biden will probably officiate, I'm guessing, or Jill. Jill should officiate. That's what they should do. If I'm the wedding planner, which I am, they should have Jill officiate, maybe major officiate, but he'll bite both their faces off. I don't see Biden officiating his granddaughter's wedding as a good look. It's like there's a lot going on right now. Maybe deal with that. Like, I don't know why. There is a huge bill that hopefully um, will save uh, some vulnerable people from climate change. And um, if you don't have time uh, to expand the courts, but you do have time to officiate a wedding, something's wrong. He's like, I'm busy right now. I'm writing a speech for my granddaughter's wedding. But I'm interested Uh, in seeing Hunter Biden in dress shoes without socks. I'll say that much. Those hairy ankles. Those hairy ankles. Let's move on to <laughs> the... No, I want to talk more about the hairy ankles. Um, the television event of the year, which was last night. 
I know I was shat on for the one time I tweeted about comparing Ted Lasso to Emily in Paris as a representation with what's wrong with our country, but I don't regret it. Like I don't, I don't get how I understand that this is a show like a Southern guy going to London and making a football team. I get why that's a show that exists. I just don't get why it's treated as like revolutionary and award worthy. It's, to me, like simply biologically, that is not revolutionary. Um, I don't believe, as they say, but I'm sure I will get shot on and people are like, we need this optimism for this time. OK, you need optimism. How about turn on Bravo? How about watch women's lives crumble and burn while you get to just sit in your couch and eat kettle corn? Oh, dreams. I was just watching a Sonia Morgan fashion show last night until about midnight which was really hard to watch because I knew it would not succeed while watching her be so happy that it did. I watched the Emmys last night. I, I, the interesting thing about Ted Lasso for me is that I've never seen a single episode. So I I have seen an episode, so I'm not speaking from like lack of knowledge. I have watched it. It's interesting to me, the fandom. I I mean, I feel the same way about the crown. I've tried watching the crown and and people do love it. Boring. I'm just like, wait, did these people have anything to do with anything? Like, don't they just live in a castle, but they don't actually have any political power and like they don't really do shit? Why would I want to watch that? I mean, I'm obviously going to watch the Kristen Stewart Spencer movie. Yes. Spencer. Lady Spencer. But I could take or leave the crown. If it, you know what, if they didn't make the crown, my life would be the same. What's really important here is that Michaela Cole won a writing Emmy for her show, I May Destroy You, which is one of the most perfect and profoundly written uh, television shows uh, to the extent that watching it has given me physical pain before because it's just so quote unquote real. She wins. I have to say something. Queen's Gambit, which is a show I really liked. I truly did really like. The creator, Scott Frank, I'm a big fan of his work. I, I, I love listening to interviews with him. I think he's brilliant. He gives a speech where he will not get off the stage. He, they cued him with music three times. Listen, Debbie Allen won a Lifetime Achievement Award. And at one point they tell her to stop. And she's like, honey, I'm not looking at the clock. Keep it moving. And everyone cheers because she's winning a Lifetime Achievement Award. Scott Frank wins for like best directing or something in a limited series. He stands up stage his three pages right when I saw him bring that like college thesis I was like oh boy he just he printed out three pages that's insane his speech isn't interesting he's not saying like you know abolish ICE or anything he's just like saying also this actor Malia Heller he's kind of being weirdly flirty with Anya Taylor-Joy the star of the show like you can't keep your eyes off of her eyes just saying weird stuff like that People are like, what is this dude doing? Why do you deserve all the time? Then, as if, I know this wasn't her purpose, but to explain perfectly why that speech sucked, Michaela Cole wins. She gets up there, takes out a card, not three pages of wrinkled paper, a simple card, says, I just wrote a little something for writers, really. Write the tale that scares you, that makes you feel uncertain. That isn't comfortable. I dare you. In a world that entices us to browse through the lives of others to help us better determine how we feel about ourselves and to in turn feel the need to be constantly visible for visibility these days seems to somehow equate to success. Do not be afraid to disappear from it, from us for a while and see what comes to you in the silence. 
And then she takes down the card and looks into camera and says, I dedicate this story to every single survivor of sexual assault. Thank you. And walks off the stage. Chills and tears. Chills and tears. She also posted something about how many drafts it took to write. Yes. The show, which I really appreciated because it um, always feels like, oh, so someone just like is a genius and magically put together the most perfect thing I've ever seen must be nice. But it's like, no, it actually takes a lot of work. She looked fucking amazing. Like, I'm happy that the Emmys did what the Golden Globes was afraid to do and recognized true talent. But I could have done without the huge recognition for Ted Lasso. And I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. Is Queen's Gambit even revolutionary? Like, I'm just like, okay, I I'm know. sorry, I know. but like, I know. no, I know. Is this, I know. I is was, this I, I was, art or is this entertainment? And like, what are the awards for? If the awards for are, are for entertainment, sure, sure. I, but like, it's so funny you say this. I was watching with Jesse Ennis last night and she said, I don't get this show. And in my head, I was like, what do you mean you don't get it? It's this drug addict who plays chess and she sees chess pieces on the ceiling. Bare, okay, drug addict though, barely. Like, <laughs> I'm not sorry. Even, she's not even cool enough to hang out with us. No, like she's just like it's like she does drugs. Like who doesn't? Like I don't know. <laughs> she plays chess. Who doesn't? I don't know. I will say, and to our listeners who watch the Queen's Gambit, my biggest note for the Queen's Gambit is Scott Frank, the director, does not know what a female breakdown looks like because in his version of a female breakdown, she has her makeup done with heavy black eyeliner. Her hair looks amazing. She is tiny in lingerie dancing in front of the tv first of all there's so many no's in this first of all i'm looking at two female breakdowns right now two zoom squares <laughs> caroline and i both unbrushed hair disgusting grease hair um i'm wearing pajama it's pants 11 30 and i'm gonna go brush my teeth for the first time today. haven't brushed teeth haven't brushed hair haven't changed out of pajamas picked up my face enough that i have two sores on the corner of each uh I was going to say of each chin, my one chin, but yeah. Okay. If you don't have two chins, you don't know what a fucking breakdown is. So don't come to us. That's Scotty. What I mean. Scotty doesn't know was written about Scott Frank. How about that? Cause he doesn't know. How about it? Speaking of Scotty doesn't know that segues into an exciting segment we have today because we have an amazing quarantine segment today from our beloved correspondent, Jesse Konevsky. Please take a listen. Hey guys, Jesse, back again with your True Romance Quarantine Report. Teen flicks use a lot of reoccurring themes. Coming of age, the ugly duckling, first love, bullying. Let me tell you my favorite. There is one cliche that when done well, hits all the right spots. It's the love triangle. And not a Princess Diaries, we are obviously choosing Robert Schwartzman over Eric Von Denton love triangle, which is fine enough, but I'm talking a really good should Felicity choose Ben or Noel debate love triangle. Fun fact, I was a huge Felicity fan. That love triangle gave me all the damn feels. So much so that when I was in high school, I ran a Yahoo group called the Boys of Felicity that would do a deep dive on Scott Foley versus Scott Speedman. I also once won a radio contest and got to have breakfast with the cast of Felicity at Dean and DeLuca in New York City. It was a dream come true, minus the fact that they only served stale muffins and Scott Speedman didn't show up. That was fine because I was a Noel girl anyway. Always was, always will be. Check Scott Foley's TRL appearances. I'm on every damn one of them. We are way off topic here. 
Never Have I Ever is a show on Netflix about a young high school girl named Davy who is learning how to cope with the sudden loss of her father while navigating all the feelings you feel while trying to find your true self and your voice in high school. That is a very generic description of season one, and I purposely left it generic because today I want to talk about season two. There's a lot going on in season two, but what I want to focus on is the love triangle we get right out of the gate in Davy's life. We have the popular jock, Paxton, who Davy and most of the other girls at school are in love with. And then we have the lovable dork, Ben, who's been Davy's rival and kind of kept her on her toes her whole life. Season two starts with both guys being into Davy. They realize she's seeing both of them at the same time, break up with her, and then she spends the rest of the episode trying to get back in their good graces. Towards the end of the season, she kind of does get back in their good graces. And in our final episode, we end up right back in this great love triangle. For me... Anytime I'm watching a love triangle, I personally always go lovable dork. Paxton Hall Yoshida is actually a pretty thoughtful and soulful jock. He's not just your average Hollywood cookie cutter big man on campus, but hot guys scare me. Except for that one scene this season where he came into her bedroom in the rain, that was really great. But otherwise, hot guys scare me, so I always choose lovable dork. So if I was Davey, I would choose Ben Gross. By the way, speaking of coming into your bedroom window... Can I just say, there are way too many cute boys on TV climbing into girls' bedroom windows. It happened on Jenny and Georgia. It happened in the original Saved by the Bell. It happened on Degrassi when Miles would climb into Maya's room. And it happens on this show. Who is that happening to in real life? Show yourself. Do all you girls have bedrooms with bay windows that are conveniently located near a tree? Let me tell you, my childhood bedroom window was barely big enough to throw a water balloon out of, let alone let a human being into. It had zero trees near it, and my dad always adopts aggressive rescue dogs that bite, and they're always in the yard. If a guy wanted to climb into my bedroom window, he'd be putting his damn life on the line, and trust, no one was doing that for me in high school. Back to the show. Davy can be a tough main character to root for at times. I do find myself cringing at a lot of her decision making, but if you saw my life at age 15, you would be horrified. Forget cringing. You'd be like screaming, crying, calling your therapist. I didn't make great decisions. So tough to root for aside, I give this show five out of five stars. Now, I personally have never found myself in a love triangle. I dated a boy in high school for two weeks and all we did was hold hands and nothing more until he finally broke up with me and turned goth. His last name was Coven though, so I should have kind of seen that coming. However, when I was 10 years old, In 1992, I was really into the show Growing Pains, and there was an episode where Ben Seaver and Luke Brower, played by one Leonardo DiCaprio, fought over a girl in high school. And while I wouldn't necessarily say that that was my sexual awakening, I certainly lost sleep a few nights fantasizing about how great it's going to be when Leonardo DiCaprio chases me around in high school until I eventually fall in love with him. And by the way, Leonardo DiCaprio was the lovable dork. As previously mentioned, I always choose lovable dork. Anyway, don't do the math on how old I was if I was watching a love triangle in 1992 at age 10, and now I'm almost 40 watching another high school love triangle. Go check out season two of Never Have I Ever. Let me know if you're team Ben or team Paxton, and I'll see you next time. And that was Quarantine. Thank you to Jesse Kanepsky for all of the good that you do in our society. Speaking of society, speaking of good, speaking of do, we have an amazing guest who's coming up. But first, let's hear from our sponsors. I want true romance. 
Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today on True Romance, we have a very special guest. Once upon a time, let me just take you guys back. I was a little kid in the big gay apple of New York City. Um, It was 1975. Just kidding. It was sometime in the mid 2000s. And I did not know how to speak to people. Truly did not know how to talk to people. Um, People just thought of me as really awkward. And one girl in particular literally walked up to me and said, we should be friends. We both, I'm new to the city. We don't have friends. And I thought this is, I, I thought I want a piece of this confidence. I want to, I want to latch on to this confidence, like a leech and suck the blood out of it and really just, um, you know, make it a part of my life. And Emma's one of my favorite people. I remember my, one of my favorite memories with Emma is that I lied to her so brazenly once and then immediately said, oh my God, I'm so sorry. That was a lie. And she looked at me. We were, by the way, not close yet. Like, it was a very weird thing for me to do. And she looked at me and said, that's okay. I lie all the time. And I was (laughs) like, this should be what therapy is. Can I just say that also the first time I met Emma was outside a coffee shop. And I just immediately was like, I'm not cool. And I I wish that I was as cool as these two gals. And you guys were talking about The weekend, I think. Like the the rapper the weekend. Oh yeah, that that had just been come. That was still like an indie thing to know about this rapper. Yeah, we the were weekend. ahead of the game on that one. Yeah, I was behind all the games. I was wearing Mystique Boutique from Canal Street, and I was behind the games. 
Devin was like, I just got back from wet seal at the mall. <laughs> I did learn about what nasty gal was from you, Devin, very specifically. That is so funny. That is so accurate. I remember I, you were wearing one of those bandage dresses, you know, the yes. ones that just looked like they were just plastered onto your body. And I was like, damn, okay, she got it. I used to shop on nasty gal at my college's like computer library. Like I would go on the desktops there and shop at nasty gal. And it's sad, like nasty gal peaked. And they had that Netflix show about the founder of Nasty Gal. And then it went bankrupt. And now everything is like 10 cents. Like you can still buy Nasty Gal stuff, but it's like 10 cents a pop. And also the I think the title of that show was Girl Boss, which is so In fact, funny. it was. In fact, a dirty word. She invented that word, didn't she? She must oh, have. Yeah. I mean. Na- Nasty Gal and Girl Boss. Good for her. There's so much there. Uh, a show called Girl Boss about a bankrupt company is Amore. Emma, <laughs> first things first, what's your relationship status? I am currently taken. You are taken. I am. Congrats. Liam Neeson taken. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. Similar situation. <laughs> how long has this been? This has been about, actually, I was just thinking about it today. We've been together for about two years. Okay. Their name is Lauren or Lo, Uh depending on who's talking to them. And we met at a a little thing called Dyke Soccer here in. Yes, 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 yes. I went there looking for a girlfriend. And let me tell you, I found one. Is it like you have to know how to play soccer? That's my question. No, no. Actually, one of our rules is play like no one has health insurance, which is great for me because I literally didn't have health insurance while playing on that team. And I was mostly there for uh, the look and, you know, like the the aesthetic of soccer and like looking cute on the sidelines and maybe just running up and down generally. You and did once tell me that you um, were motivated to run because you had a crush on someone there. Absolutely. And it was Lauren. That is so cute. I identify also because I like wearing sports jersey t-shirts because I like mm-hmm. looking like maybe I just had sex with someone who was into sports. Um, yeah. But like Devin, I don't know the rules of soccer and um, I don't and either. Never understood a game of football um and in fact get resentful at people when they care too much about it because i feel like it takes away from me which should always be like the most important experience i absolutely hate competitive people they make me really annoyed and there's so many because i at the time i was living in washington dc which is a city full of like total fucking nerds who are like i need to be the best at everything and i'm like i aspire to like complete mediocrity and being like okay at most things and everybody got really into it and i just like didn't share that competitive nature um, so I didn't last long on the team. I just lasted long enough to find a long-term partner. And then I was like, bye y'all. I was out. <laughs> That's the real win though. <laughs> That's, That's the really championship. Cool. That's the championship. And we just moved in together too. We just moved in together oh. for like the first time, I guess, um, a few months ago. And we live in like, we live in Baltimore now in Baltimore. You can afford like a very nice place for not a lot of money. So we live in like an absurd apartment in Baltimore. So this was another thing I loved about Emma when I met her was that we were all in New York City, which is also someplace that ambition can kind of feel stifling. And our friends were always like, Emma is our friend who says, I will never make a lot of money. And I understand that this is what I'm, I want to get into uh, work that is just not going to ever be conducive to aspiring to wealth. Nothing I care about will ever make any money truly. Like everything I deeply spend time on or, you know, want to be involved with or like gets me excited 
is literally will give me zero dollars. Maybe ne- yeah. honestly, negative dollars at this point. You are putting a lot of your funds into your work, which we will get into. Um, but how was your courtship with your partner? It was great. We started dating in November or October of 2019. So just a few months before COVID hit. And so we had a really fun, like short courtship. And then we became extremely serious because COVID happened. So I think a lot of people went into that experience. I had that same experience. Yeah. It worked out well for some people pretty much Yeah, down for it though. I'm into it. What about this relationship makes you feel more taken care of or happier than you've been is it the soccer I mean honestly we tried to play soccer one time outside of like soccer and um she was like trying to train me and give me like pointers and I just like didn't want to hear it I was like I'm done I never want to play with you ever again I can't take a pointer a pointer makes my body stiffen so like I I get my blood boils at a pointer I wanted to sit down immediately I literally will show people things asking for their opinion and get mad at their opinion Mm -hmm. I'm like I didn't ask for this I showed you a piece of writing all I want to know is that it's good I don't want you to tell me anything else no why would I want to hear that it feels vulnerable to me to like take a risk and like try to like do a core exercise so then for someone to say like make sure you flatten your back I'm like you actually want to ruin my life you want to make (laughs) me feel you want to make me feel so small and one time I talked to a friend about this and I was like I can't believe like this person that I was dating was like giving me pointers in the gym and like what's wrong with him and she was like maybe you just have an eating disorder and I was like well could be could be <laughs> we can't could count be. it out You're bringing up something for me yeah <laughs> you're making a point other than the experience of being given pointers like one time I feel like this relationship is like very different in many ways I do feel like queer relationships in general have less rules attached to them and not by any like you know it's somebody telling me to do things or society telling me to do things but there's just less expectations on them so I feel like you can really make it whatever you want it to be and nobody's like, oh, that isn't right. Or that isn't correct. Because they're just like, oh, I don't get it. Like that's, <laughs> you know, that sounds like a personal thing. I don't right. really understand. And so I feel like there's a lot more flexibility when it comes to queerness in general, which is really fun. That's really interesting. Do you think it has something to do with the fact that marriage wasn't a possibility for so long because of prejudicial like shenanigans? Because of Jesus. Yeah. Because of um, our yeah, Lord. I think- I do do think Jesus was a really big part of it. Um, My partner grew up in, my partner grew up in Texas. Okay. Oh no. And, um, and her family's like very supportive and really kind, but also like you can't really help the culture you grew up in or whatever. Um, And so I feel like she came from a place where it was discounted a lot. So after this appointment, I feel like you can only go up, you know? So anything you bring to the table, mom and dad are excited about after that right. point. Right. Yeah, I do think like not, you know, being never being able to get married until literally like five or six years ago, probably not so has a part of it. But I also feel like queerness has always existed outside of the realm of what is the traditional sense, even though if it's like normal now, I do mm-hmm. feel like we get we get a little bit of a pass, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah, that makes that's not really sense. fair. Like, why don't straight people also get a pass? And now that we're on the topic, why don't straight people get a pride? <laughs> this is actually what we wanted to have you on for to talk about straight pride yeah you know that would be in boston that's gotta be in boston <laughs> it has to be in boston it has to be with green red Sox hats on green is yeah. the color of straight pride green 
green and oh, red really? actually like green a and kelly red. green like a kelly green, green and a crimson and it's Ugh. just it's just <laughs> that, not good that's polo shirts with collars up that's getting drunk by 11 a.m that's getting into Absolutely. a fist fight um that's a mom showing up who may be having a mental breakdown it's also really bad sex like oh like horrible is, it's just bad sex. It's a it's a celebrate. It's a pride in bad sex. I think. Okay, are we talking about St. Patrick's Day? <laughs> <laughs> it kind of feels like it, honestly. Okay, wow. Now we've come full circle. Is this your first queer relationship? No, no, no. Okay, okay. Because when I met yeah. you, you were primarily dating men. Yeah, and actually, I was thinking about it because you called me a late in life gay in a text message earlier yes and i told my friends that and they're like what the fuck is that person talking about um okay well so i have I, an issue tell them that i am cool and that i actually do not want a straight pie parade um no it's too freaking late <laughs> um no you have i have said it on a recording that's true uh the first person i dated who wasn't a wasn't like a cis man was probably in like 2008 and then I had a big old break in there. And then I, when I moved back to Portland, Oregon, my hometown, I started dating women and, and non-binary people and just generally not cis men right. again. Uh, and I haven't like sworn it off or anything like that. It just feels like a better space for me in general. I'm a lot happier and more comfortable with my sexuality. I do feel like the right work word for my sexuality is pansexual, which I just find to be the worst word that's ever existed. I just hate it so much it always makes me think of the spanish word for bread like like pawn like i'm bread sexual or something yeah. like that <laughs> but i think about it every time so i do think that that's probably the right word but these days i'm just going with queer or gay because it's just easier yeah. yeah yeah i um do think that you seem really happy <laughs> i don't I don't. Devin has <laughs> questions i was like emma seems really happy we should interview her for true romance and devin was like yeah i've got questions I was like, I heard she's bred sexual. Yeah, we all heard that. Sword on the street. Wait, what is the dating scene like in Portland? Just curious, because I've never been there. I've always wanted to go there. And aside from like total lack of racial diversity, it did feel like it would be like a good place to date because I was like, there's no like finance bro. Like in New York, it's like you do have to look at if people checked their political views on the dating app because it's like people will actually check conservative or like or put conservative or say like swipe left if you don't support the president or whatever so <laughs> i was like that wouldn't happen in seattle it seems like it seems like it would just be like people who agree that capitalism is evil but maybe i'm wrong and is portland the same way portland is probably the same way like you're gonna agree with everybody like politically but i feel like there's a a version of portland obnoxious that you really can't understand until you live there i guess we have a lot of burning man people which is really annoying um and then also we have this like certain genre of men specifically that weaponize the words that we find you know alluring this you know like yeah like people who like have the therapy words like have all oh, the right no. lingo but then are just like the worst people you've ever met in your entire life gaslighting um, so is something that like i feel like we should have protected more right and they all have cool haircuts so it's like really confusing you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah they all have like really sick haircuts and then but the other thing without like no finance bros is that there's like probably no dudes who can pay for anything because everyone's like poor you know right so well, i don't know true. if that's of interest i was really glad to leave portland when i got finally got out i was like wow i really didn't realize that my world was so small so tiny yeah and what's what's your dating language in portland or elsewhere what's it like to date you 
what's it like to date me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, fuck. I don't know. Uh, probably pretty chaotic, a little fun. Sure. Lauren, Lauren always talks about how she spends a lot of time trying to keep up with what's going on. And there's often a plan that she's not privy to. And right. she finds out halfway through, like we went to Ikea yesterday, you know, for a little bit. And it was like, how did that happen? You know, like, I don't know where she's like in <laughs> flip-flops, you know, being like, well, how did I get here? Yeah. So I, I think that's probably it. Um, I feel like we have a lot of fun together. Um, especially now that we both work in a uh, service industry partially, so we have like very similar hours. So we always have mornings together, which is really nice. I love that. You do seem, and this is based off Instagram, which I know isn't always accurate, but you seem like a very active person in terms of you're always out. You're always with friends. You're always having fun. I am jealous of this. Um, yeah. Given that I am like indoor and that's just in my blood that like, I'm not supposed to see the sun for more than right, one hour right. a day. You're meant for like the bog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I certainly, I feel like I do have a really good crew. Honestly, I've got a really solid crew in DC. I had like a, a group of three or four people that I really spent all of COVID with. And so I feel like they have a lot of like friends and networks. And I feel like even I've only been in Baltimore for six months and I feel like I've really invested here in a way that I really love. And Lauren works at this really cool, like fancy bar. And so we go there a lot and just like hang out and there's a lot of people there that I've known from the community and we get to know all these things for all these networks. It's great. And so marriage is something that you don't really think about. And I'm saying this out of jealousy. I was engaged. <laughs> Did I tell you all this? No. no. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> not, not to this person. Right. Not, not, but not just in general. I got engaged to my previous partner. Okay. It was a real whoopsies. Wait, Whoops. did you post it? Because I don't remember seeing that on Instagram. And if you no. didn't, how dare you? That how is really how did you not put, put your hand in the frame like this? With the diamond, yeah. fingers I, outstretched. I'm getting married to my best friend. I can't believe I get to marry my best friend. Uh, it was not my best friend, honestly. <laughs> um, <laughs> if we're being I honest. Said, I said yes, and I shouldn't have said yes, because I knew in the moment, I was like, this is not going to be good. But we, I got as far as like telling my parents. I got as far as I got a ring, which I still have. Um, we, got, we got them a ring. You know, it was a whole whoop-de-doo. I would say this person was like very traditional and, um, I did not, I did not, uh, align with those values. I, I literally never think about marriage. Like quite honestly, I truly never, it just like never crosses my mind. I feel like children buying a house, like those sort of things come first. For okay. me. I was earnestly surprised when the question was asked to me on the floor of my kitchen one evening. And I was like, yes, <laughs> but um, that's why I don't think I posted it. Cause I was like, this is social suicide. Like how will this push down my fuckability levels? Like nobody's going to want to have sex with me after this. No one's going to want to have sex with me. This is going to send the no. wrong message to people who yeah. I want to have sex with. Yeah. Like I'm in a long-term relationship, but yes, I am still available. <laughs> kind of the message I want to give, you know, but like who knows, you but know, just wait the messages, but just wait, dot, just dot, wait. Dot. take your shot, it shoot your shot no matter what. I feel like it was really the nail in the coffin of our like not so great relationship. And I will say this person is now engaged to somebody else. <laughs> that yeah, makes sense. That makes sense. It's interesting. I do think that there's sometimes getting engaged seems like a Hail Mary, or I feel like it's been narrated, narrated as such. Like, well, and yeah. then we decided, like, what are we gonna do? So we got engaged. Yeah. It was, and now I have this ring and I'm like, what do I do with this ring? I actually really like it. And it doesn't really look like a wedding ring and it was wildly expensive and I did pay them back for it. So I feel like I should be wearing it, but it just feels also wrong. You know, instead I'm wearing a Harley Davidson ring. 
So I love the Harley Davidson ring. I, I was actually <laughs> admiring said ring. My friend who was engaged and had the uh, same experience as you, where the person proposed to them in front of their entire family on Christmas. And she was like, I just had to say yes. And she said she saw the ring. And even though knowing that she didn't want to get married, really liked the ring. And so immediately it was like, yes. And when they broke up, I was like, do you miss the ring? And she looked at me so in gratitude that someone asked. And she was like, I really do. (laughs) Absolutely. If you don't care about marriage, you have to like kind of attach it to whatever thing is like pretty and so i was like right. oh this ring is nice i also got a wedding dress and let me tell you did i look like a pilgrim did i just look like a full-on right off the mayflower i have to worry about it because i have such a conservative looking face right. but if i wear any conservative clothing i just look like i'm about to take away your voting rights you know what i mean well this is actually bringing me back to one halloween where you i and a friend holly brennan dressed up like sister wives and it was my <laughs> best costume ever and we yeah. had so much fun. I would think was I was, great. yeah, it was a real, real And it looked good natural experience. for all of us, honestly. It all looked great. Us, yeah. All of us looked at home. It did, it did look great. I saw photos and I was really jealous that you guys were better friends than me. And also well, like, how did our braids look so perfectly coiffed? Like, I know those Mormons take a really long time to get it just right. It was perfect. It was perfect. And I did see like, this is an alternate life for me, you know? Easier life, honestly. <laughs> easier i mean when you think about it it's like i don't even have to question marriage because guess what i'm 14 and i'm already married and i got a hubby <laughs> i'm 14 and i got a hubby <laughs> and i'm marrying Aww. my best friend because he's one of the only guys that i've ever spoken to <laughs> yeah so i wanted to ask you about your current positions in life because we were just talking i mean we've spoken a little bit about it and it feels a little appropriate because as Devin just texted me, um, the Supreme Court will hear a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade in a Mississippi case on December 1st, mm-hmm. which I find um, depressing on many levels. Interesting on one level, given that abortion is wildly popular. When I say abortion, mm-hmm. I mean like birth control, like just any way that a woman can have any sort of autonomy over her uterus is um wildly popular but i wanted to ask your stance just kidding i wanted to ask you about what uh your job was or what one of the roles that you serve in that area is yeah i actually am an abortion doula do you all know what a doula is i know that um celebrities get it to give birth at home right there's actually a lot of different types of doulas i learned through my training i recently learned about death doulas which i think is a really cool thing i think so too Um, to shepherd people through death. But what I do is I'm an abortion doula. So what I'll be doing later today is I'll be going to a clinic and I get dressed up in scrubs and I have a little like thing on my, on my breastplate that says a doula on it. And I meet people right when they walk in the clinic. And my whole goal is to be like their support through the entire process of getting an abortion. Um, So when they walk through the door and when they leave, so the doctors and nurses take care of all their medical needs, make sure that all, all those needs are met, but they also have a lot of you know, clients that are coming in. So I'm making sure that they have a blanket if they need it, if they want to talk about complex religious feelings, if they're feeling like the doctor's not hearing them, coming up with a list of questions, like anything they might need to be advocated for through the process of getting an abortion is like my job through the whole thing. That makes sense why it would be necessary, especially because I feel like in something that's like cloaked in so much shame um, is anything that has to do with shame makes you isolated you know, right. like 
It's so funny. Uh, Tim Cook, the CEO at Apple, just announced that he will Great. he will pay for any employees in Texas to travel out of state for abortions. And Damn. someone tweeted was like, OK, so I'm so sorry. But the conversation is like, hey, boss, so I got to go to California on Monday. Like, I got to get an like how it's yeah. still something that I feel like people can't um, or feel uncomfortable saying because of even though, you know, everyone I'm close to is pro-choice. Um, there is still this level of. Yeah. And everyone has their own like feelings around it. Even if you're pro-choice, there's such a spectrum of pro-choice too. Right. Like a lot of people that I encounter in the clinic, they're like, oh, I'm getting this abortion because I need it. Not like those other people who are just getting it for X, Y, Z reason. Right. Or, right. I, or I encounter people who um, their babies aren't going to come out alive, you know, like that where they don't, they don't really have a choice pretty much. And so all those people kind of end up in the same place, even though they have like such a different uh, experience with abortion. And I feel like a lot of what being a doula is, is like meeting people where they're at, at that particular moment and shepherding through that. And I know when I had an abortion, I wish that I had that because I did not have that experience. I went to, um, do you know what, uh, a, like, a an emergency pregnancy center is, do you know what from those? No, no. So there's these clinics that are set up supposed to be, they look like abortion clinics and you go there and you ask, they basically, they offer free pregnancy tests and they make you feel like they're going to help you get an abortion. Like that's their whole goal is to like hold you off long enough until you can't get an abortion where you're at. And they're strategically set up next to abortion clinics so that you get confused. They, they deliberately meant to confuse you. And I was very young when I got an abortion and I was confused. And I went to one like basically four times thinking that they were going to help me before I realized they weren't. And it got really close to a point where they, nobody was going to be able to help me in the state of Oregon. And so those are like really, really scary and dangerous. Yeah. They have them in New York. I, I knew somebody who went to one in New York city. That's so in, insane and completely manipulative for people who are confused. <laughs> I mean, if you're doing anything it's always recommended to have someone there because when you are the patient, it's hard to absorb a lot of information. Mm -hmm. Whenever I'm in fear, it's hard for me to absorb information. So afterwards, you know, my mom or my sister will be like, okay, so, but remember the doctor said this. And you're like, absolutely not. I don't I'm remember like, shit. Absolutely not. All I remember was being so scared that I was going to have an ugly scar. I am curious what your training was like in terms of, what is something common that you feel like hasn't been discussed in this process? I think that uh, through my training, it was a several week long training for doulas. And then I shadowed doulas in the clinic for a while um, before I took on my own shift. Um, and I think a big process of the training that I always get hung up on is I always like want to affirm people right away. Just be like, yes, yes. Whatever you're saying, of course, of course. Mm -hmm. But like for me, I think a big part of my personal training was to just like wait and like allow for silence and allow for people to just gather their thoughts. Cause it's true what you're saying, Carolina, people get really, they be, they get really scared and really anxious and they don't feel like they have enough information and they don't feel like they're making the right choice. And they just need to get there themselves. Cause all the information, all the things they need, honestly, are truly within themselves as corny as that sounds like everything that they need is right there with them. And sometimes they just need someone to like follow them through that process. Yeah. Now we're kind of facing a world where abortion access might be rare. I'm thinking of the, am I pronouncing it right? It's the Lilith fund, right? In Texas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
-hmm. and how someone who worked there said they usually get upwards of like 121 calls a day. And then after the abortion ban in Texas, they got 19 calls the next day. And someone said, you know, it's not because they they said, you know, we we don't think we're not assuming this is because of a sudden lack of need. We're assuming it's because people are fucking terrified. What are you thinking in case Roe v. Wade is overturned in terms of how you will go ahead? (laughs) I think like being in Portland, I like I think when Trump was elected, a lot of people started thinking about this. And then also Portland is full of like some left-wing wackos. Um, So I knew a lot of people who started abortion gardens in their own homes with Penny Royal and different types of herbs to create their own at-home abortions, like the old school way, because people have been doing abortions for quite literally thousands of years. And they haven't, you know, there always hasn't been the drugs or the medication or the procedures that we have now. So I knew people who grew their own gardens just to prepare themselves and get that get that ready. Um, I also know that there's like low-key and underground trade of misoprostol, misoprostol, which is the drug used. And you can get it through networks throughout the country. And those networks are being set up similar to the 1960s, 70s um, Jane network. Do you all know about Jane? Yeah. yeah, very cool. Similar to Jane, except for Jane was doing like physical in-home abortions. This is more like male-based. And if you know somebody who knows somebody. And that was, I just, for our listeners, Jane, from what I understand, was sort of a word of mouth situation mm-hmm. where- Top uh, secret. Like you said, yeah, a friend of a friend. Covert operation. Yeah. But wasn't it like they would give a code word and meet in a hotel lobby and then like, it was like actually really like a spy movie, yeah. but for just having freedom as a woman. <laughs> but it's also really scary because those, you know, those, those women were really brave and really strong, but they also weren't like trained medical professionals. Yeah, like, right. That's also like really terrifying in a way because, you know, I watch abortions quite literally all the time now and they're so quick. They're so painless you know, you have a whole team of people there supporting you. You have a recovery room. You have people watching you. You have people watching the amount of blood that is coming out of you to make sure you're safe. And like, you don't always have those in those those situations, which is mm-hmm. like the most terrifying part because people are going to keep having abortions no matter what. Yeah. No matter what. Well, that's something that I always felt just as a white cisgendered woman just always felt so that it was one of those things where I just knew that overturning Roe v. Wade would never affect me. and. um I don't know, you know, what it would be like if you are already on the verge of homelessness and you're pregnant and have to figure out how to um, take care of yourself. Yeah, I've had it like previously when I've worked at nonprofits, I had a few students who knew I was involved in like advocacy around abortion and they like came to me and I have we like me and a few of my coworkers very unofficially have crowdsourced some abortions just between friends because I worked with people quite usually getting out of incarceration. So they had a lot of, you know, financial struggles getting out of incarceration and then having a child was just like not in, in the cards. And so it just felt like, even though, again, it wasn't like the most professional thing to do, it felt like the right thing to do in those moments. And I don't regret it or anything, but it was like very shady to like crowdsource from other nice white ladies to try to like figure out an abortion for somebody who just got out of prison. But, you know, we, we use our resources when we got them. Mm-hmm. No, that makes absolute sense. What do you think has been reactions from people, even liberal people, when you explain what one of your jobs is as an abortion doula? You know, I don't I don't have anybody in my life who's like conflicted about abortion because we right. probably wouldn't agree on a lot of things if that were the case. 
Yeah. And I would say it's like a big part of like who I am too. Like I focus, I spend probably I, like, I, we always talk about how I'll never do anything that makes any money quite literally. So I spend a lot of my time doing mutual aid projects and like working on social justice oriented things in general. So if that's not, if you're not part of my life in that way, we're probably not going to be hanging out too much. Well, this is something I wanted to say about you, which sounds like a compliment, but it's really more something I want to take in is that you are really good at taking care of friends. You are a really good friend. And I think a part of being a really good friend or a really good partner is not caring what other people think about you. It's weirdly, I think, very correlated. Um, If you need to learn how to stand up to people, if you are like someone's loved one or someone's friend and you never had a problem with that. I mean, I was in a relationship that was... um, pretty emotionally abusive someone who I like still have some fear around and you when I was very young when I was like 20 and you were one of those people who was like yeah I don't smile at him I just glare at him he knows I hate him and I fucking hate that dude (laughs) I still hate him I was talking about I was talking about him to Lauren today I was like that fucking guy was the biggest piece of shit I've ever met yeah, you know, I, Devin and I have been talking about, or we were just talking about this Gabby Petito case, not to get oh, too yeah. dark, but we we're talking about sort of the spectrum of abuse and how this sort of has the country glued. And to me, I think that we have an illusion of what safety looks like, right? Yeah. Like white people especially have an illusion mm-hmm. of what, like, he's white. He is liberal looking. He hates litterers. Like, how could he kill a woman? Um, having no idea how abuse morphs. I mean, anyway, but I I think that you are someone, it makes sense that you have no problem being in a role that is inherently politicized, not by anyone except the government. And also the the protesters that are outside who scream at me each time I go in, but they're a bunch of fucking nerds. So I don't hang out with them. They are (laughs) inherently uncool. Also, they're unfuckable. Sorry, gross. (laughs) Yeah. This clinic that I work at is in Northern Virginia, which sounds like it would be like super conservative, but it's like really not. It's like where all the liberal elites of DC live in their really fancy mansions. So it's not, it's not a conservative place. So they like drive in, they like come, they're like, no, 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 they need to hear our voice Mm -hmm. and they're not in friendly territory at all. Yeah. It's really interesting. Like I always think about with like men's rights activists or people who are protesting gay marriage or people who are like yelling heinous shit. I'm like, and then you just go about your day. Right. Like, you say some horrible shit to someone. I literally will get into like a weird back and forth with someone in like a parking lot and feel so awful and think about it for a week. They fucking say horrible shit and just keep, that's just their keep life. Going. Part of like sort of aligned with this is like I'm also like to pay my bills I'm a waitress and I'm generally serving like DC elites because I work at kind of a fancy off the beaten track restaurant and um I often serve like literal war criminals like on a regular basis people I google them I google like everybody who comes in who just like looks like they are wearing a suit you know and just have that vibe and so they'll, you know, they're very rude generally. And like, you can tell from a mile away. And I'm like, how do you just like go about your day? Well, it's like Kristen Cinema, Kristen Enema, um, <laughs> who just waltzes in, thumbs down on raising minimum wage, waltzes out. I was- And wears the stupidest fucking outfits while doing it. She's really um, like making a bad name for herself. Um, and bisexuals, all bisexuals. Well, this is what I think is I think she watched one episode of Sex in the City and was like, yes, me, quirky, fashionable, unique. And those um, boots, those are fun boots. Really giving clothes a bad name. 
Like it's not yeah, even like she's good. misrepresenting women. She's representing like the dressed community, yeah. the clothing. Looks bad. Uh, yeah, it's really not a good look. I want true romance. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. I would love to plug your mutual aid project because oh, yeah. I just want to say that as you got on the pod, you immediately said that you wanted to thank Devin for something. I obviously like uncomfortable, confused why my name wasn't <laughs> in there, like stressed out because, oh, is this because I messed up our time for the Zoom? Um, and <laughs> thanks, Devin, for not messing up the time on the Zoom. Thanks for not um, being a fuck up. And then Devin has been donating, as she put it, one night of Postmates dinner a week to your mutual aid project. Okay, but this is the thing. I don't want to be like this guy that I was friends with on Facebook who posted this long thing that was like, every morning I wake up and then I do this and then I do that. And then I walk down the street and I buy a $6.50 cup of coffee, like a latte. And then I got like this long thing and the end was, so I have decided that I will be <laughs> pledging my $6.50 a day towards women's rights causes and I will be having coffee at home. So I don't want to be that, but I'm just yeah. saying that was actually my post <laughs> that the truth is like that guy sucks. But if you think about it, there is some logic to like, do you do something you don't need to do every yeah. week? And I know a lot of people don't, but I myself I do a lot of stuff I don't need to do. I don't need to buy the whole season of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City on iTunes just because I don't want to watch the commercials on Bravo's app. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe We're I could. Uh... Have you. I will say that Devin didn't say anything to me about this. And that's why it also came as a surprise, because <laughs> I also not to say that I am the man on Facebook who pledges his coffee money. But yeah. of course, think what uh, Emma's doing is so cool. And 
and why it's so cool. And I don't know if you want to give a quick breakdown on the yeah. difference between nonprofits and mutual aids, because we were talking about how cool it is to just give direct help to people instead of worrying that what you were actually paying for was like, uh, you know, president's salary. I, yeah, I will say like, I worked for nonprofits for eight years and your money is not going to a good place. So just don't do that. Okay. General. I was talking to someone who runs a volunteer organization in LA that involves like handing out food and water to the unhoused community in LA, which is a huge community. And he was saying the chemical change happens when you're actually handing out the food. Like that's the chemical difference. This is like, I think the next step up of chemical change, or in my experience it is where it's like, I know that this Postmates slash uh, Real Housewives season money <laughs> is going directly to people who need it. And I know who it's going to. Um, and I think I, the cool thing that you're discussing also is like, you trust me to make the right decision. Yeah. And right. Like, which I think is a lot of what mutual aid is based on. The idea that we are in community, we know each other and that you're not just giving to some faceless thing, right? You're trusting me that I am not taking the money. I, cause I'm not, I'm actually losing. She's calling from this. a bare room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm just, you know, we're putting together this project and I'll, I'll give you a little overview. Our, our the idea of the project is called the consistent money moving project. It's based out of DC. And what we do is we um, ask people to pledge a certain amount each week. So some people are $5 a week. Sometimes people are $40 a week, like our friend Devin here, which is a little oh, bit of a high God. roller, but we love okay. to see it. I just say that a season of Bravo costs at least $20. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Yeah. And she has those savings set aside for her girls. <laughs> for my ladies. City gals. Um, and then we, you know, send out a Venmo request every week from me or one of the other three people that I organize with. And then we pool all the money. And then on Monday, we spend, we, we share it. We usually send out between 160 and 175 each cycle. And the idea is that people are experts in their own lives. We don't need to give them like another service. We don't need to give them like another meal. Like I'm sure they could use that, but also like most people just need some cold, hard cash. Yeah. Um, and you're not giving them a hoop to jump through, nothing to qualify for, nothing. To oh, no, 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 it's the money goes towards hula hoops. And we physically, <laughs> they, they, we, we watch videos of people jumping. Maybe, but maybe, but the point is that like, we need to give up the idea that like our hard earned money needs to be used on something that we think is valuable. Right. Right move how we think about how we give away our money that like it isn't really ours to begin with in a lot of ways like our money is mostly just luck in a lot of ways so uh it doesn't really help to be connected in how it's being spent almost completely luck yeah truly um and then a lot of our concepts comes from the idea of the universal base income so we would love to do that for every person in our project but instead we're kind of just like a holdover you know a little bit extra each week so that everyone can get their medication. So everyone can get a little extra snack. So everybody could deal with that medical emergency or, you know, go get a meal with their kids, like that sort of idea. And it really has been an incredible game changer in a lot of people's lives. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I also think it's something really replicable. Like we're doing it here with like five volunteers. And I will say it's like a lot of time and energy on my part. Like if more, it, more than anything, I just like think about it constantly. Like I think about it like quite literally all the time. And also my participants often text me about what's going on in their lives. And I'm like, wow, I wish I had more, but 
this is what we're doing. We're not solving right. every problem. We're doing a universal, like every week for the next 15 weeks, you know, you're going to get 175 bucks from us. Like you can rely on us and we will fulfill our, 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 you know, our dedication to you. So, and how do you meet your participants? Honestly, this, it started out with one person. So it started with this guy, Trey and Trey is a neighborhood guy that I knew because he did lawn care in my neighborhood. And then Trey had his lawn, um, his lawn care, all this stuff was stolen one day. Like literally everything was stolen from him and it's his only way of making money. And then he lost all his income. And then we started pitching in every week to kind of like make up the difference to him. And then he started introducing us to some of his friends. And then we knew people, I knew people from my previous job of people getting out of incarceration. So these are all people we have community with. Again, like we trust them. You trust us. Like it's a long-term, like we all have, I think that's the hardest part of mutual aid projects is that it can't just be some random poor person you see, right? It needs to be like, you know, this person, you've communicated with this person, you're friends with this person, you've hired this person to wash your windows, do something in your yard. Like you see them every day and you give them cash. Like the great thing about mutual aid is you, it quite literally requires you to go out of your comfort zone to get to know somebody you usually wouldn't get to know. So we all know these people in some way or another. Yeah. I will also say because of all the hard work that you and the other volunteers do, it's really easy for the donors because you literally <laughs> just is. get, it's like <laughs> you just get a Venmo um, request. You don't even have to remember to send the money because you get a Venmo request um, from someone in the and organization. I'll text you if you remember, if you forget, I'll totally text you a super they... passive text. <laughs> Yeah, I have hey, forgotten girly. a couple times. Haven't hey, girl. Heard from you in a while. Hey, chica. Hey, mama. What's up? I saw you just uh, posted that you bought a new season of <laughs> Real Housewives. No, just checking um, in. See just checking doing. in. I saw that you posted on Instagram at the Ivy in Beverly Hills, but yet you forgot to whatever. Um, no, so yeah, it just it's so unbelievably easy that it feels unfair. Which actually now I found out it is unfair because you guys are putting all the work in, and I'm whatever, just sending money. But I will say like, it just is an easy way to make a difference that feels real and not just like, oh, I sent, you know, this amount of money to this giant organization. Who knows what's going to happen with it? It's spent on something really stupid. I guarantee you. I went to a protest uh, forever ago against um, family separation policies at the border and a rabbi spoke and one of the things she said I loved, which was that she said, if you're feeling guilty right now, that's the normal response. It would be weird not to feel guilty right now. So I think that there is this sort of literal wealth of white middle to upper class guilt. And yeah. uh, how are we going to monetize that? You know, yeah. and there's nothing we can do to uh, pay back um, these, you know, what we take for granted uh jumps we've gotten in society i had the connections to make an internship out of school what what's the bare bare minimum we can do and to literally be watching emma brennan's instagram stories to keep um up to date on her relationships um which i guess i'm bad at because i did think that she came out later in life that was so rude don't worry a lot of people came to my defense when i read it that text out a lot they're like no you're not a late in life gay okay, don't well, worry about it i'm actually i am worried about that because then it makes me uncool also, like, I'm 31. Like, my life is not over, <laughs> I thought you were 72. I mean, I do look amazing. Thank you for everything. You do. It's the La Mer that you use with all your mutual aid money. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm sending it on. I'll watch Edmund Brennan's Instagram stories. I'll just let those stories fly by me. And she says, can you donate 5 or 
and um, me wanting a little ego boost will press 10. Then I'll probably fall asleep or, you know, watch an episode of 2008 um, Housewives uh, inspired by Devin. And then if I don't remember, I will get a Venmo request. I think, oh, yeah, I pay it. I keep going with my day. Easy. I try to make it so, so easy. It is um, such a nice way to feel a part of something when we do feel like what that rabbi said, like legitimate guilt and confusion and cynicism, really. I know that Caroline and I couldn't sound possibly worse on this episode in terms of like privileged white people who are like (laughs) and then like i could just not order postmates or i could just not watch an entire season but that's no we don't have to chop some of it off because that's the point you can be bad people like us and still make a difference the point is absolutely even if you're like privileged and i think that's title of app by the way (laughs) even if you're a privileged piece of shit like us Uh, You can, you know, make a difference and you should. And then maybe cool people like Emma, who normally would say what a privileged piece of shit will actually give an hour of their time to you on a weekday to do an interview. Absolutely. People like Emma, who, if they were my waitress, would um, dream about spitting me in the face and calling me a war criminal. Actually, will be like, okay, cool. She's a part of my project. I have had people come into the restaurant who I've convinced to give to the project. Oh, I I love that. Yeah, and we've ended up becoming friends on Instagram. And I feel like they're really interested in my mixture of like mutual aid and like thirst traps. I think like it really, it's a good balance for people. It's a great mix. And you have a cat. Do you still have a cat? I feel like you've been posting cat pics. He's really cute. I found this cat in the woods and I feel like my life has been ruined ever since. His name is Beans. He's so cute. I was going for a walk in the woods, trying to like decompress after some long day of exams at school. And um, I found a fucking cat in the woods and nobody tells you how traumatic it is to find an animal in the woods in need. And so then my life was ruined for the next like seven days. And then we were like going to give it away. And then my, we gave away the cat and my girlfriend got him back because she was like, our life is so sad without him. And I, I, I was crying every day. And she like found the people we gave the cat to a new cat that was like an older version of our cat. And then she surprised me in the park I, after work one day. She's like, meet me in the park. And I turned around and she was there with fucking beans on a leash in the park. That wow. is very romantic. I love She's that. romantic. Romance. That is the most romantic thing I've ever heard. And I wish that someone would meet me in a parking lot with a pet on a leash. Like that is literally, <laughs> I, that is the most romantic thing I can think of. Okay, Emma. So uh, say someone wants to be your friend, say they want to like your thirst traps on Instagram, say they want to be around with you sexually, say they want to connect with you and slide into your DMs, say they want to meet Beans, um, say they want to meet Lauren, uh, and say they want to give you $5 a week to be a part of this. What do they do? You can go ahead and just click that that follow button on- And what's your handle? At Emma. It's Emma, E-M-M-A, D-O-T dot gov love lincoln bio folks right under where it says hi welcome to abercrombie (laughs) perfection yeah emma even though your goal isn't to someday write for a television show like mine is i do think that you are uh one of my friends who's making the most difference out of anyone i know and i love that you're going to nursing school because nurses are famously my favorite kind of people and have uh gotten me through a lot so I have a lot of love for you. I look Thank forward you. to being trolled by your friends one day um, yeah. in person. Thank you all so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome.
for this amazing platform we've given you on uh, the, in this episode the is activist. sponsored by CBS's The Activist. All I ever wanted was a little love. I want true Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Awards Watch says Liam Neeson is at his best. Don't miss In the Land of Saints and Sinners. Having left his dark past behind, retired hitman Finbar Murphy, played by Neeson, leads a quiet life in a remote coastal Irish town. But when a menacing crew of terrorists arrive, Finbar is drawn into a vicious game of cat and mouse, forcing him to choose between exposing his secret identity or defending his friends and neighbors. In the land of saints and sinners, from Samuel Goldwyn Films and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, watch it now on digital. Rated R.